it's really that there's always been really awesome technology that clearly solves a pain point in the market. And my career is trying to find ways to make sure that those that came up with those technologies are able to win the market. Because my frustration has always been the best product, it rarely ever wins the best product. It's usually the company that's best at marketing that uh, kind of wins the market. You are listening to Matthew Walrod, founder and CEO of Rapid Alpha, an IP consultancy that specializes in bringing startups to the U.S. market. Matthew has been recognized many times as a pioneer and leader in innovation management. The team at Rapid Alpha has developed this muscle to look and examine the underlying IP, turn it into a story and use it to drive business. All this while creating even more IP and intangible assets in the process. So to make the most of this episode, my advice to you is while you're listening to my chat with Matthew, Try and look for the connection between IP and R&D, IP and business, and of course the connection between your IP and your go-to-market approach. So the first 2022 episode of Protecting Your Value, here we go. What is Rapid Alpha? So we're an IP advisory shop and we're doing everything we can to help technically oriented people, um, either be able to bring their technology to market or to help people that are trying to find not just good technology, but good teams to work with, to bring these parties together. And then oftentimes there's investment opportunities and we try to close the ecosystem out right with the financiers to build, you know, a bit of a triangle between tech providers, those that need tech and uh, financiers together. What is a financier? So people will see it as private equity, venture capital, corporate venture capital. There's uh, angel investors. So really as a as a business grows and evolves, right? From an idea to, you know, a company that has a product that is maybe getting traction to a sustained company and goes through the growth phases, you have different types of uh, financing opportunities. What we try to do is try to bring the you know, connect the right people on, you know, technologies that we see as being de-risked, right? And good teams to try and help them win the market. How would you define what you do? I mean, are you a business development person? Are you an IP person or, you know? That's a a great question. People ask me that all the time. So I work a lot in intellectual property. I would say that that's where my experience lies. And I think one of the challenges or where we get a lot of ambiguity and confusion is that there are specialists with intellectual property that call themselves marketing professionals. There are specialists that uh, work in trademark that are trademark attorneys. All of these individuals are actually practicing facets of intellectual property. And I think for my business and what we do is we step back a bit, I think, and look at all the intellectual property, right? That surrounds the business. And we look for advantages and how we can wield that to achieve commercial success. If I'm a startup company wanting to go into new markets and I have a kind of a a plan and a vision how can you help me with? Is it with raising capital? Is it with marketing? Is it with business development? For us, what we try to do, and, and we think of intellectual property much broader than I think what you see 
in a law firm, which we're not. A lot of people associate intellectual property really with utility patents, right, and filing utility patents. But intellectual property, as you well know, in a much larger sense, is actually about um, the unique ingredients, right, that a technical entrepreneur will bring to the table, will work with the team, right, to be able to solve problems. And then out of that, you have the the downstream effects in marketing. So really understanding what, what you've built being able to relate that in marketing terms, right? This is something that especially technical entrepreneurs struggle with. Normally it is enough in an operating company to be exceptional at developing technology. And you have a team, right? That is dedicated to marketing, that is dedicated to business development. What we wanna do, especially with something like an IP plan is to have a rallying point across the organization. That way everybody has a foundational point of truth a source truth for what is it that we do? What problems right, do, you, do we solve? This is fascinating because for me, two years ago, I, I started asking my clients, what's your challenge when it comes to IP? It was long before I, I was thinking of a quiz and, and, you know, understanding challenges. It was just like, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And I asked a few close clients, what is it about IP that you know, if you could solve, it would make your life easier. And it's funny because it didn't matter who I asked and what technology field I asked. The answer was, you know, sometimes it's really difficult for us to communicate what our IP is. The reason I'm excited about, you know, IP plan after we've done it uh, quite a few times is that it really solves that problem. Yeah. And I mean, you get a company no matter where they are in their growth cycle, right? There's always the next stage that you have to get to, right? There's the, the next milestone. And for a company that just starts off, right? The initial challenge is like, yeah, we want to finish doing our development. And then the other pieces is uh, who's going to buy this? And then who's actually responsible for going out, right? And selling us. And really the same challenges that you can have if, you, if you're having challenges in getting customers, those problems will not leave you when you raise capital. It still comes down to you articulating. If you can't explain it to a customer, you're going to have a very tough time uh, telling it to an investor. And really, a customer, right, and an investor are going to be hearing a lot of the a lot of the same things in terms of the problem that you're solving. Both are going to want to know, you know, what's the competition like? Why should I go with you? What are the features that you have, right? That maybe going to make, you know, my life easier as a customer. And then there's a handful of other questions, right, that an investor wants to have. And certainly, if you can't communicate what you do, you're going to have a very, very hard time being successful. Those are the biggest challenges. I mean, these these are why companies fail um, at a staggering rate, right? Well, the numbers are unbelievable. But tell me, how did you land on this niche I know that you've worked for intellectual ventures that, you know, everybody knows, huge, huge patent holding company. And you worked there. That was, you know, where you got a lot of your insights. Could you kind of talk about your time in intellectual ventures? Yeah, sure. From my standpoint, I've been working with inventors. These are individuals that, from my perspective, they're sacrificing everything because they cared so much about the technology and the potential of technology. And they're, they're at the top of their game right? Recognized as thought leaders at Intellectual Ventures. What, what I was drawn to with the mission was to help all these inventors make their names known. 
so we could look at things like the technologies and stuff that we have. Our mission, right, was to uh, extract value from those patents. And so we had a number of ways of doing that. And it was just great to work with amongst the best, the size of transactions, the volume of transactions that we were doing is so unique to be able to go through that many, uh, many cycles. And I was incredibly fortunate to work with some of the best. So you worked with the inventors, you, you yeah. took their IP with the purpose of commercializing the IP? Yeah, absolutely. On behalf of you. So what did you actually do? You helped prosecute the patent? Will you help getting the patent issued? Yeah. So when I started, there was, I think we had just, in the fund that I was in, I think we had just eclipsed or were eclipsing 4,000 patent applications. And I think we had something, I think we were closing in on 300 or 400 issued patents. And so the job with this giant patent portfolio was how are you going to find yourself in a transaction talking to somebody, right, with these patents in your hand and say, hey, this is something that you need to take a license to. We need to build together. You know, maybe we should collaborate right on on one of these deals. It was taking all the different ways of commercializing, you know, ideas. And uh, oftentimes that meant working on the patents themselves. Uh, to tell a story with those patents in the same way that you do with an IP plan? Well, what is the story? What is the narrative? How do you take so many assets and start thinking of how to commercialize them? I mean, I can understand 10, 15 on an Excel sheet. I can understand, you know, doing outreach to companies where you see the potential of licensing. But how do you take 4,000 and 5,000 assets and make business out of them? How does it work? So for me, I was I was very lucky in that I rarely have uh, worked exclusively on one technology at any point in my career, and so when we had started, I I had a um, they had done some work right to build a an Excel spreadsheet right of all these assets, and they'd done some work to hyperlink the assets. They built a bit of a catalog, uh, but the challenge was is that because we had so few issued patents and we were so early in the commercialization cycle that um, it was like a giant whiteboard. And so the task was, for me, I think the only way that you know a patent is by by reading it and generally, you know, reading the claims. So I went through and um, created my own taxonomy. And then I created uh, rubrics on evaluating the IP in terms of how I thought, you know, cursory how I thought the priority date would stack up given what I knew about the technology, the market sizing, right? Actually creating numbering systems and conventions. So I could actually, I was working out of Excel. How could I pivot uh, pivot the data out? So for about, about six months, I got through the majority of the portfolio and stack ranked it in terms of what could I go to market with today? What could I try right today? And then as I got those programs up and running, what is the next top priority program? And then as most people will be familiar with, not the market isn't necessarily ready, right, to rapidly uptake a technology. So I had to strike a balance between things that I knew I could make money with, right, kind of day one, so I could keep my job. And then I had more medium term bets. So that way, as the the near nearest term things, right, were closing, I would have other deal flow that I knew would take longer to get the transaction done and stagger those out. So there's always like the smaller plays, the longer plays, and you're hoping that at the end of the day, you would get enough opportunities out to be able to hit uh, revenue targets that, that we had. 
so you know where the patent is going and you kind of have an idea who your clients are or who yeah. the adopters are or who you want to license them to. And then you kind of create a business plan for them. Yeah. So there's the beauty of intellectual property, right? Especially patents so that you can sell them many times. And we really took advantage of that. So what we wanted to do was just see, you know, in general, as you go through 4,000 on ultimately, I think we, uh, eclipse the 5,600 asset mark at the peak of the portfolio. You do things that are, you know, non-exclusive licensing. And so you see the same companies appearing over and over again, because we had these 58 technology sectors right across the portfolio. And you would just kind of try to structure and stack rank the portfolios because, um, you know, for a spell there in terms of the portfolios I was working on, I was the only person in business development looking at the technology sectors, right, that, that I was in. And then we had some really brilliant people on the, uh, on the health and then some of the attorneys were supporting in the applied physics roles. But um, the opportunity dictates the strategy in terms of market. If you have a giant market, and all the IP right that you've developed has been adopted, it's non-exclusive licensing opportunity. Look at just the way the market already works. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, you try to find those people that are motivated to get deals done, which is should ultimately sound a lot like what we attempt to do in Rapid Alpha. So after working in this crazy, crazy sandbox that had absolutely no limit on the budget, and working with the best inventors and entrepreneurs, if you had to crystallize one thing that you took from there into Rapid Alpha, what would it be? What's the number one lesson, your insight about working with the startups? I think the biggest one is understand your pain points. You have your audience that you're trying to sell something. And if you can't present your product in a way that they will digest it and say, oh, I do have this problem. This is the solution, right, that we needed. If you're not having those types of uh, conversations, it's not so much that maybe you have to change the technology. It's more that maybe you have to change and reevaluate, right, the pain points. And for us, in terms of discovering the pain points, how other people will see it always comes back to the IP plan. What did you develop from a technology standpoint? What problems does it solve for others? Where are those people? What industries do they exist in? What companies, what company sizes do they exist in? Um, what are their job titles and roles? And, um, you know, really gets you into the, uh, into the marketing thing. But that's one of the biggest deficiencies, right, that exists in startup companies. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you can have the most amazing technology ever. But if you don't know how to take it to market, you have nothing zilch. Right. So uh, what I'm hearing from you is that, that that missing link that you spoke about is something that but the IP plan gives you. And the reason is that the IP plan gives you the basis of understanding the right language to talk. So not being able to fundamentally articulate what it is that you do, it's just very, very painful. Let's jump into the IP plan. For me, after seeing it and after you know going through the process, with several projects that we've done together. I completely get that. But for, for someone who's listening and c kind of needs to understand why, why do I need an IP plan? I mean, what does it mean to have an IP plan? If we look at some of the things that we've worked on together and when people talk about valuations, if you can't see something, 
it's very, very hard to put a number on it. It's very, very hard to be impressed. And, you know, again, going back to this concept that if I'm an investor, I can't tell you how many medical devices, right, that I've seen out there, right? How many different, uh, you know, heart stents, right, that, that I've seen right across my career. And you see these same ideas over and over and over again. Uh, and everybody's like, oh, but I have the best tech. Okay, cool. So how's your tech better? Like, what was the five second version of this? You can imagine that if you have a picture of what it is that your solution solves and you can put that image in the environment where it solves a challenge, uh, you can start bringing a lot of context right to that solution. And for a lot of these, uh, these companies, right? The IP plan, the whole idea is to be able to level set and have a single source of truth for what it is that your company is actually developing and being able to create like one slide where it says, hey, we up to this point, we spent, say, three million dollars on R&D. OK, great. So what do you have to show for it? Like, well, we have some of the best technology. All right. But what is it? What problems did you solve? What does it look like? How big is that market? How does it connect into the market? How does that fit into your sales cycle? Is what you're saying right resonating with uh, with customers? And most companies can articulate that. And because there's no vehicle to put the development into something like a patent or a trade secret, or hey, here's a standard operating procedure, or here's a client list, right? They, don't even have a customer relationship management solution. It's very, very hard for someone to go in and be impressed by, oh, well, we're talking to 50 companies right now. It's like, okay, cool. So who are those companies? And if you have to tell somebody a list instead of just saying, oh, hey, here's an Excel spreadsheet, this is what the IP plan is attempting to do, right? We've solved 10 problems. Of those 10 problems, we think eight of those things are patentable. We think that even within these 10 solutions, there's another 30 trade secrets. And you you look at this and you see the numbers, you're like, okay, I see where it lives. And if you can go deeper into telling the story, like, oh, amazing. Well, what have you done that's new in turbine engines? Like, where is that? Like, oh, well, let me show you. Let me do the zoom in. How deep do you want to go? Like, okay, well, tell me more about this. Tell me more about the fuel burning. Right, that you're doing on these things. Oh, okay. And you can guide somebody all the way through down to the actual R&D development. I really like about the IP plan is that a high level, you know, an investor can come in and see the, the illustration of the, of the tech in the right context, but then he can bring in his expert, his technical expert, and the technical expert can dig in deeper on the same product, which is amazing to me because for me, I sometimes have the conversations with uh, with investors. They want a really, really high level. They say, uh, you know, Ilanid, can you just like really, really high level explanation of what we're talking about? And then can we have another call with the patent attorney to go a bit deeper and then Let's liaise with the patent attorney who, who wrote this because we kind of need his input on how he wrote the patent. So all this, you know, is like taking a container and saying, okay, this is the IP. This is the R&D dissected into your development projects. This is it. You want to go deeper? No problem. You see the picture. You, you see the illustration. 
then you have a breakdown in, into the invention areas. Well, you have a single source of truth within your organization. And if things are going well and you find yourself having to hire, having something like an IP plan to say, hey, this is what we build. We're differentiated here. This is where most of our R&D goes in. This is how we're solving problems. If you have something like a picture to be able to onboard people and say, you're going to be working on this team. These are the problems, right, that we're solving on this team. These are the problems more broadly that we're solving right within this company. And you can say, these are the types of customers and clients that we have. It gives you an opportunity um, to onboard people faster. It gives you a sense for what the key performance indices should be when you hire somebody. You can better architect comp compensation packages. People get ramped up faster and you don't find yourself as a founder in this constant problem of like, you know what, I could hire somebody and I could delegate this, but I, it would actually be faster if I did it myself. Having an IP plan as a source of this is what we do, being able to get these founders to evolve from, it was so important for us to just survive and build this ID and close the first customers to, oh, now we're actually a company. And instead of working in the company, I need to work on the company on the strategy, execution, deal flow, hiring, managing the actual business itself, as opposed to being on a workbench, right? Or behind a computer screen doing the actual programming. So what you're saying, it doesn't just allow me to present the IP that I have as a company. And it doesn't just help me demonstrate basically what my advantage is in the market. It also helps me to delegate my R&D projects which we yeah. see as a huge pain point uh, in the market. You have to really get people excited about what it is that you're doing. And it's so hard to do that without a picture. You have to be able to market, uh, market your business, what you're doing, why what you're doing is important, why it's special to be able to grow. And for us, we hate uh, getting stuck in the same types of framing that happens for patent law firms, for example. Like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't I don't really need a patent, so I don't I don't need, you know, an IP plan. Okay, so this is my question to you, Matthew. How do Israeli companies differ from other companies that you've worked with in Australia, in the US? Or in other words, what is your advice to Israeli companies based on, you know, a few dozen companies that we've worked with? So Israel's a, a giant hub for technology in really any large multinational has to have some type of presence because of the quality of technology that's coming out of Israel, where I think the scene is different than, say, in the U.S., which is a much more you know mature market, is that I think what Israeli companies are going through right now is a bit of a shift in that they actually have to mature their companies more than they ever have in the past. And I think one of the biggest pain points that I'm seeing, even with successful entrepreneurs, is that their um, ridiculous amount of success that they've had. Being able to go in and, yeah, we were under the radar for a little bit, then the next thing that we knew it, right, giant company came out, right, and bought us as soon as we closed our Series A round. That was amazing. They didn't have to do anything. Nowadays, what companies are finding is that even after their Series A, where they had normally exited, they have to start building 
a sustainable business model and they find themselves being in business much longer than they have ever had to uh, in the past, especially on the tech scene. And so because of that, they find themselves challenged in doing things that they've never had to do before. And unfortunately, at least for some of the things that I've seen is not all founders, not all Israeli founders realize that the market is different from the last time that they exited. But people don't make buying decisions necessarily based on the best technology. And so this, again, you know, comes back to articulating what you've developed, having a single source of truth, and just having that level of organization, being organized. What are we working on? How much money do we spend on it? Why are we spending it? What is the strategic importance, right, of what we're doing? And so that's what we're trying to we're trying to help them solve, build sustainable businesses. And it all starts with a good foundation, which uh, to me is an IP plan. So you're saying, let's take the technology that it's, is the best technology. Let's connect it into the, into the marketing side of it. Let's articulate the, the marketing message using the way we see the technology and the sophistication of how we see the technology in terms of IP and leverage it into the market. Yeah. And so we want to... We want to leverage the advantage of having the best technology. <laughs> that is your ace in the hole, right? That is a giant differentiator. Being able to say, well, you would want to work with us because we invented this. All these other challenges. If this is your pain point, this is how we solve it. We solve it with this. We solve it with this. We solve it with this. And if you could get all of those solutions, why would you use an inferior product? And then you can start creating other additional advantages working on the business model, working on your own culture, making your own culture more fast, more efficient, being more responsive to the customer's needs. Right. So one of the questions that comes up for me is companies asking me, Ilanit, but how do we how do we really communicate our competitive advantage? What does it mean to talk about my competitive advantage? There's, so there's a number of ways, right, of of looking at competitive advantage, but really it is, what is the thing that makes your company, right, special? And technology by definition is a fleeting competitive advantage. By definition, all technology goes obsolete. So you need to have more than just the technology to be able to have sustained success. And so if you look more longer term, right? And this is something that we're fortunate to be doing with so many Israeli startups. What are you building internally that is going to allow you to not just have one hit, but many hits, success, following success, following success in the most efficient way, being able to deploy capital such that as you spend $1, it creates $10 of value for your business it is building sustained competitive advantage to always win, to feel like you're always on a path where I almost feel sorry for my competition because there's no way they can match us in terms of our organization, the level of sophistication of uh, the amenders that we have, the competitive intelligence that we gather that other startups do not have the discipline or the know-how to be able to do, the partnerships that we have, for people with very large purse strings and budgets that they leverage their partner in Israel as a R&D shop 
for solutions, right, that they actually need. You have to do more than just have a, a one in a frame of time, a single solution that is technically superior. You have to be in a position where you create superiority and differentiation every single day, which gets you to culture, your relationships with your customers, your ability to be agile, to pivot quickly, to minimize risk as you're bringing new products and services to market. And if you have those philosophies, these are true competitive advantages, right? Not, not the technology itself. Fantastic. Sometimes call you the Robin Hood of uh, startups. You, <laughs> you know the tools that the, the big guys use and you leverage the, what the startups have and you say, okay, let's see how we take what the big guys do and implement it on, on you know, smaller companies' efforts of penetrating into the market. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to realizing your advantages and being willing to leverage your advantage. There's these, these notions, right, that you're um, oftentimes, right, your, your strength is your, is your weakness. And I think a lot of times when people approach a problem, they're like, oh, but this is my problem, right? I don't have enough money. It's like, all right, that could also be your strength. And look at your competition, right? If your competition owns huge amounts of uh, market share, then uh, they have certain commitments that they have to give right to their investors. They have certain vulnerabilities in terms of what their growth rates must be. They have certain vulnerabilities in terms of how many employees they have, and they have to hire new employees and grow and scale and feed that beast. And if you're not there yet, that's a huge advantage. And uh, while I definitely have been fortunate to work with some very large companies and leverage some of the things that, uh, that they do, you know, I think it's more, if you can start off early in a startup with certain types of discipline, when it comes time to grow, when your sales take off exponentially, it's that you've already built the infrastructure early on. And you actually avoid a lot of growing pains. Absolutely. Agreed. So Matthew, you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to record this. And I hope to see you soon in Israel. Yeah, likewise. Very much looking forward to, uh, to seeing you. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank our producer, Nomi Schneider. If there are any topics that you want us to cover in our next episodes, please go to our website and write to us. Tell us what you have in mind. See you in the next episode.